Welcome to Uncharted Careers. I'm Courtney Hartman, and I talk with guests each week about their career paths to give listeners an insider look into different industries, how folks have made decisions in their careers, and we'll explore what each guest has learned along the way. I'm on a mission to share knowledge that is only learned in the field outside of a classroom. Join me to find inspiration for your own career. Yeah, so during the weekends, I frequently go either kayaking or whitewater rafting with family locally here in Oregon. So I find it's like important to kind of take a break from all the screens we're looking at. So definitely looking forward uh, to that coming up this weekend. Oh, that's so nice. How is the weather over there? It actually has been very nice, not uh, too hot. We had um, a little bit of a heat wave uh, a few weeks ago, but um, it has been uh, very tolerable. So we feel fortunate. Yeah, that's amazing. I find I need that balance too. Just staring in front of a screen all day. It yeah. feels like you really need to get out in nature for almost as much time as you have been sitting in front of a computer. So it's nice to hear you have that balance. Absolutely. Well, so for everybody listening, Michael founded a company called Calypso in 2022 that I am a strategic advisor for. So Michael, can you tell me more about Calypso and what you have done for the company so far? Yeah, absolutely. So um, yeah, we started Calypso last year. Uh, The whole goal of the company is to help B2B companies uh, maximize revenue of their current customer base or their install base. Um, so that's what we're, we're focused on. Um, I had worked uh, previously at a very fast-growing startup and uh, was a first sales leader as a part of that role. I got to work really closely and really start the account management program. And uh, that's kind of where I got started. I had a mentor a really long time ago that first kind of introduced me to this idea of like post-sales and account management and how the you know, customer journey, you know, starts when a deal closes and there's all the things that you have to do to, you know, keep the customer. Also, emphasis on net revenue retention is important and also um, expansion. And so our platform helps with all of those things. So who would be a great client for Calypso? Who would see the most value by investing in your services? Um, Yeah, so we focus on Uh, B2B companies um, with account management or customer success teams that are, you know, looking to grow through their existing customer uh, base. So typically people who have a little bit of an expansion focus as well. Um, We'll also add elements to help um, like prevent um, or help identify risk and calculate health scores um, that map to um, getting out in front of uh, churn as well. So that's also in the in the pipe. And what is your role right now? What are you spending a lot of your time doing while you are building this product and going to market and bringing on clients? Absolutely. So the most important thing in the beginning is it's really easy to get distracted um, with all the things that you want to do. And it's really important to stay focused on product market fit. So making sure that you're developing something that people would actually pay pay money for, Um, something that even uh, people would use and stay in the platform on, you know, might be a signal for, you know, other companies as well. But, you know, are you ultimately uh, building a product that has value and ideally like differentiated value to, you know, the people that you're you're selling into? And would they um, 
want to, you know, ultimately pay money for what um, you're trying to build. A lot of people like to start with the product, um, but it's really important to start with, you know, really acutely painful customer problems or, or prospect problems and uh, starting uh, from there and then working backwards into the product uh, from there. So that's like what I'm really focused on right now is um, building a world-class mission critical product for post-sales teams. Gotcha. And what do you find yourself doing day to day? Like when you sit down at your computer, what are you doing? Are you reaching out to folks to schedule those meetings and then having those meetings? Are you out in the world meeting folks face to face? What does your day to day typically look like these days? Yeah, absolutely. So no day looks the same right now. Mm -hmm. Um, I will say that um, I meet with a lot of prospects. So we meet with hundreds and hundreds of people uh, I have since like slowed that down a little bit, actually, because um, we had like so much feedback and so many thoughts that we are sort of really uh, focused on the the product itself. So at one point, I looked at my calendar and I had twelve, you know, prospect calls and in, in like one day. Oh my gosh! Um, <laughs> so I've uh, I've since like cut that down intentionally, like quite a bit, and so we're really focused on like our conversion rate um, with maybe a smaller set of um, customers and making sure that it's like mission critical from for them and then uh, you know pouring the gasoline on the fire from there um, and um, really building out the, the go-to-market motion there so um, I spend a lot of time with my co-founder um, you know really thinking through all the edge cases with the product um, uh, around like the pain points that uh, people experience, especially the really acutely painful ones that they're usually unable to solve for themselves. And so so that's what we're f really focused on right now. And I still do take a lot of, you know, prospect and or customer calls in the form of, um, you know, demos and, and, and things like that um, as well. But a lot of it is spending time with my co-founders. A lot of it is spending time with um, prospects and or customers. And then also, you know, building things like, uh, uh, like a marketing funnel, how are people going to find out about us? And, you know, in a world where, uh, you know, there's, there's so many bespoke products out there um, for various um, niches. We's all, we've also started like a community. So we're like building content that's like valuable on um, for post sales, uh, customer success managers and account managed um, professionals um, as a whole as well. So, um, so yeah, stay, stay very busy. That's for sure. Yeah, and 12 prospect meetings in one day sounds like a dream for a salesperson, but that is a lot of feedback. It's nice to hear, though, that you have such great momentum going. Can you take me back to last year, 2022, when you were starting to found this company? How did you come up with the idea? And did you always feel like you wanted to start a company and feel that entrepreneurial spirit? Or how did that come about? Yeah. So my friends say that like, I've been talking about it for a really long time, but like, <laughs> I don't really have like a memory uh, of it. They say I would even talk about it at like Thanksgiving dinner and stuff like that. Um, and like all the ideas that, um, uh, so my friends have certainly said as, um, as, as long as they can remember, I've like talked about it, but I didn't like grow up saying like, Oh, I want to be like a B2B SaaS entrepreneur. You know, I don't know if anyone <laughs> says that. Um, yeah. <laughs> 
Uh, but the idea that certainly like the entrepreneurial like spirit was like always there, like I, um, you know, in college would gravitate towards things like kind of outside the classroom that involved like starting something brand new, whether it was like an organization or, you know, disrupting the status quo um, was, you know, always like appealing to me. And so this idea of like having like a builder's mindset and also like kind of um, you know, even when I'm like listening to podcasts, like the people that I always admire the most are like the ones that like kind of had an idea, but like kind of had to hack it together and had these seemingly insurmountable obstacles. Um, but nonetheless, they persisted and, you know, really figured out, um, how to make it work. I was just thinking about this on a walk, um, you know, yesterday, uh, how, you know, class pass built, you know, this product for a year and a half and, then they did the launch and it was sort of like crickets. And then, um, you know, they had to like go back to like square one and, you know, we're building it into the, the big, um, you know, company it, it ended up being, um, and mm-hmm. just hearing those like crazy stories of, you know, how, um, like Sierra Nevada got started. Like there, a lot of founders experience a tremendous amount of like adversity in the beginning. And so, mm-hmm. Um, I've always been kind of attracted to that challenge that is associated with starting something new. Um, and so, um, so yeah, my friends, I, I, they've like heard me talk about it forever, but it's not like something I was like, uh, necessarily like conscious of. Mm-hmm. And did you get the idea while you were working in your previous company and you saw that there was this need in the market or even a need for your team and it, the software just didn't exist or how did you come up with this specific idea? It goes like really far back. So I have um, a mentor when I was first starting off in sales and, and, you know, I was like having a hard time as most people are in their first month closing and she looked at me and we were like in this room by ourselves and she was kind of like a kind of like an unscheduled one-on-one and she was like you can do this you're gonna be really great like an i can already see it and that's like literally all i needed to hear and like three months later i was like the top performer you know with a twenty thousand dollar you know commission check in my mid-20s and my mom is like what are you doing there <laughs> um so 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 all i needed was like she definitely like had that spark she went on to manage a um a, a post sales uh, team as well and i was always like wow that team is like doing really well um but often what i noticed later on at other startups and in my career like we don't always give like post sales the coaching training enablement um and resources um last year when i was at a conference i heard a really notable VC say like the last decade was really like selling to people, all these like top of the funnel prospecting tools, like, you know, overused that people say spray and pray, that sort of thing. Like uh, the next decade, this one is about, you know, selling through your customers. And I couldn't agree with that more. And so, um, you know, that, you know, before I had even heard her say that I could like feel that is how our company was growing um people are often you know it's so easy it's never been easier in human history to build a bespoke product and even like bring it to market um as a result like um buyers often like want to you know with so many off uh, options they often want to start small um before they have that expand big and then we also often lose the 
never stop selling to your customers piece. So there's like billion dollar brands that I talk to that have like just skimmed the surface with the total potential addressable market, you know, uh, the total addressable market and, you know, the sort of potential of their current customer base. And so it's starting to see this like top down from boards and CEOs, even CFOs really care about this idea of maximizing revenue from your current customer base. And so I, I could like feel that problem that, whoa, this is really important. The way that people are buying is really different. But not only that, you can see it in the numbers. And I was just like scratching the surface by leading this this team of two account managers. And I was like, let's just start small. Like, let's book like 10 opportunities a month. And it was having these like huge revenue implications of them, you know, just doing a little bit of the things, honestly, that we were doing in pre-sales and being really granular about like what it means to sell to your install base. Um, so it was really cool and, you know, almost even like miraculous looking, seeing how much success they, they had with so little enablement. And then sort of like, well, what could we do if, you know, we had a solution that really helped them tackle this problem um, of, of growing revenue through your, your current customer? And, and also from there, you know, helping to identify risk, get out way out in front of it. So often we see that people are really reactive um, when it comes to, and churn and renewal and and things like that and so um i don't think it's as much of a, a people problem as it is like giving the people the resources that they need and so that's what we're trying to do here at calypso yeah and personally i have seen such a need for something like this and i think you're right and what i've experienced in the b2b companies that i've worked at especially on working in the on the client success side of things is that we have really been focused on client retention as opposed to growing our revenue with those existing customers. So, um, you know, I've seen net revenue retention goals get so much more aggressive over the past decade or so because folks are really looking at not only retaining the revenue that they received from a customer last year, but also upselling those customers on additional product. And, it is just a lot more cost effective to focus on selling to your existing customers as opposed to going out and getting new customers. And so many companies are just not focused on fostering those additional upsells and looking for ways to expand their business with existing customers. They have a really big focus on new logos and, you know, what are who are the other folks that we're not touching at all? But that's just so expensive. That take so much time, so much trust building. And when you're talking to a customer that you already have a relationship with, mm. you are able to really understand their business in such a more granular and better way. And you're able to really offer solutions that you know are going to be effective for them. And, you know, the folks that are selling these products are going to be with these customers typically long term. So you're really set up to work with a customer to make big moves in their business and help them to grow and scale through the products that your company is able to offer. Um, so I love that you're focusing on this side of the business. It's something that I personally have been looking for for my team. I was just going to say, yeah, the prevailing view is, uh, you know, it's easier oh, to sell to your, your current customer base. And that is true. It is easier to get, um, you know, to, to sell into that install base, but we still have to provide the coaching, training, um, enablement, 
and resources in order to get it. And the, and the reality is, is that there's still a massive amount of money being left on the table here that it's really critical that businesses formulate plan instead of it being like guesswork, which is the status quo for so many companies today. So when you were founding Calypso, after you had the idea, what did it look like? What were the next steps? And how did you learn about how to even found a company? Because this is the first time that you embarked on this entrepreneurial (laughs) journey, right? Yeah, it was um, a lot of thought went into it. So it started off with I um, called a VC and I was like, will you, <laughs> I didn't even ask him to invest. I was like, will you mentor me? So we had like a few calls. He actually like offered it on the call. And so that's like where it started. I tried to get to a place where while I was at my last company, one of the things that I did was um, I really focused on my personal brand because that personal brand foc- uh, helped the company grow like a lot. So millions of impressions on on LinkedIn, spoke at dozens of conferences and podcasts like this one, you know, would do webinars and, and things like that. So that would kind of be like my, I would say 15% of my job was things like that. And then like the other 85% was like leading, you know, the coaching, training, hiring, everything with sales at the beginning. And so building my brand had this like side effect of that VC knew who I was and took the call. So COVID had just happened. So it was 2020. And I was like, you know, I have a bunch of ideas. And then I shared one and he was like, that's terrible. And then (laughs) I shared this one. And he was like, Oh, my God, you know, you seem really passionate about that. Like, you have to do this. And I was like, well, and then I kind of paused talking to him for quite a while after that conversation and I applied to a accelerator I ended up like not doing it um but it was momentum I needed to like use as leverage and you know sort of proof to ourselves you know I had believed strongly in enough I, in the idea that it um that it was worthy problem you know to solve um mm-hmm. But it was sort of was like the first kind of like external val or the second piece of external validation. The first was a VC that I sort of cooled out, founded, and then the mm-hmm. second was this application that we went through for um, an accelerator. So then I, after a guy was like, "Whoa, hey, I applied to this accelerator," and the VC responds, he was like, "Congrats!" I was like, "Awesome, are you going to do it?" And then he was like, "When are you going to quit your job?" And I was like, "What do you mean quit my job? I love my job." And uh, <laughs> and it was during COVID, so I had really focused on saving. I reduced my personal expenses to like basically just rent. I had gotten rid of my car. Like all of my expenses were basically like I ruthlessly took them like to basically zero except for rent. And that was very difficult. Um, but that was a kind of like frugality of like mindset and kind of like hacking. That's where this idea of like hacking things together started. And, at, at, you know, you're working at a successful startup and, you know, you want to go hang out with your friends and spend all this money on cool dinners in San Francisco. Like all of that went away. Um, so but I, I didn't really care. Like I would rather spend my time like reading a book in my hammock anyway or go whitewater <laughs> rafting, which is free. So focus ruthlessly there. And then it like, I was like, 
talking to my partner one day and I was like, I think tomorrow is the day. And it really just came out of the blue. I was like, I just, it was like, you know, when you get like senioritis and you just can't, you just like, can't, you're done with something. And I, I did love my job, but it was that this other thing had like planted roots and I believed in it so much. And I knew that the only way to like bring it to life was to like go full in. And I know like other founders have like strong opinions in like other directions and things like that. So I like saved up to a point I was like comfortable with. And then I quit my job in um, June of 2021. And then I took uh, basically like the next six months was like, I had already found my my co-founder and CTO I'm at that point, but we were being like really slow and he still had a job. So like I actually ended up like using the next year to like write a book and start Calypso, which was a terrible idea. (laughs) Um, I don't recommend. Um, So basically um, later on in actually 2021, I was like, you know, I want the all the protections that come with incorporation. So I incorporated technically at the end of 2021, even though it was like no traction, no nothing. I just wanted that in place. My co-founder quit his job in December of 2021. I was like, oh shoot, like this is real. You know, he's quit his job, he's in. And that's really when everything started. So um, shortly, right after him quitting, we got a uh, someone else that's a advisor, but really kind of was like working with us and like a design partnership level. And then by... Um, March, we had a, a different VC like really interested in us and he put together um, a bunch of meetings for us with other VCs and we ended up closing our round of funding in April of 2022. So that's kind of how the, the journey worked. And then we started building and um, did a soft launch in February 2023. Um, and now we're about to do a harder launch now that we have customers in the platform and have a much clearer idea about where the product and marketing and everything like that uh, should go. Yeah, you've had a busy two years. It's super <laughs> exciting, though. And it's been really fun to work alongside you over the past year and just be kept in the loop on what you're focusing on and what you're building and what's go- going to come. It's been uh, fun to be a part of the journey in some small way. When you were thinking about who to start a company with, how did you decide to partner with somebody in general? And then once you did decide to bring on a partner, how did you go about deciding who that would be? Okay, so I thought of this in two buckets. So bucket number one was skill. And bucket number two was risk. And then kind of like the third small smaller bucket was like, after I get those things, you also have to like be able to work with this person. So I, again, like once an SDR, always an SDR, I like cold outbounded like a ton of engineers from every corner of the internet I could find. And like most of them, like I felt like I'm like, you know, didn't get this real strong desire of wanting to be a founder and the adversity that comes with that. Or like most of them, some of them like are just like, oh, I just want to be in charge or, you know, uh, I didn't get this like sense of like committed to the journey from a lot of them or even like had the skill. So I also like having managed sales teams knew that I needed to probably get better at like speaking to people who were technical and not on the business side. So it was really helpful for me setting up all these calls with everyone that I could talk to um, for myself 
you know, even more than just like finding a co-founder. So that was like my kind of my mindset, like, hey, I need to be better at like doing this. Um, and then I'm just like sitting there and I'm thinking, well, what's the best way to like mitigate risk for an investor? And I said, well, they they would want to see if it was someone that you knew, right? Like if, if you haven't worked with someone before, like that's kind of like risky. So yeah. I remember there was an engineer that I did know um, that I used to work with. My current co-founder, Christian, um, was our top engineer at Chili Viper, but he had since moved on. I set up a call. I, did, I literally didn't ask him anything. I just, <laughs> my memory says I basically get on the call. Hey, I want to start a company. Do you want to be my co-founder? <laughs> and I just got right straight to the point. And I think that came from all the confidence um, that I had from speaking with so many engineers. I could just felt like I could just, hey, this is what I'm doing. Do you want to be on board? And mm -hmm. I knew I knew he had the skill because I'd worked with him. Mm -hmm. um, and then the last piece was, can we work together? There's this um, 50 question uh, for your co-founder that first round puts out. And that was the first thing we did. We like went through and answered all these questions and, you know, kind of like, uh, 20 questions, you know, with, with someone. And so we did that and that was a really helpful first exercise. Like, how do you think about this? What about that? You could ask follow-up mm -hmm. questions. Um, what would you do in tough situations? What if things aren't working? Things like that were, were kind of in the vein of the questions there. And then from there we built this little thing together. The first thing we were kind of working on was like a Salesforce integration. And, uh, but that was a process of finding a co-founder. Yeah. Wow. And then as you grow the team, are you going through similar exercises or are you mostly focused on reaching out to folks that are looking for roles in the positions that you're looking to hire for that you maybe ne not didn't necessarily work with previously? What does that look like? So uh, something that has felt like this to me, people always talk about how entrepreneurship is kind of like wearing many hats. Um, which is true, but I think it kind of overlooks something really critical, which is you really have to be singularly focused on one thing at a time. Like, yeah, you, of course you have to wear different hats. You have to set up your, you know, your, your IT department and you pay your bills, but like, that's really not that difficult. It's really being singularly focused on one thing at a time and knocking that out of the park. For example, Imagine if I had just been like, oh, I'm going to pick like a random person to like work with and I don't really know like what their skills are and like I haven't done anything to try to mitigate risk or determine what those skills are. Now you're like already off to a bad start. You like don't know if this person like has a capability, maybe you pose risk to like VC. Um, so like really knocking out of the park the one thing that you're working on at a time. So the risk. Uh, or, or finding a co-founder or, or quitting your job, you know, finding a co-founder, finding a great like legal team. I think that was something else that was really important to me. Um, you know, usually you have like a more expensive one for the expensive stuff. And then you can have, you know, like a second lawyer for everyday things to like keep costs low in the beginning. So like that was the second thing, you know, and then the, the big one is product market fit. And people like to kind of think they have product market fit before they do but that's like so critical like piece of like the one thing to be focused on and what we're focused on right now so i i think people i always hear people talking about oh the many hats you're wearing but i really think it's like knocking the one thing at a time completely out of the park before you move on to the next step yeah and i'm sure that makes things 
more manageable as well. And you're able to take them off your to-do list and know that that's already done and that you put all of the appropriate time and energy into it before moving on to the next thing that is going to take up all of your time and energy. I like that approach. You talked a little bit about applying to an accelerator and then deciding not to go in that direction. Can you tell me a little bit more about the pros and cons to working with an accelerator? Yeah, I think like a lot of, um, I think there's a lot of really great ones out there that help you um, get started. I certainly know a lot of founders like go that route and it really works out well for them. I think for us, it was like this particular one wasn't a fit rather than accelerators in general not being a fit. It also, I I more so did it to like use lever as leverage to like, hey, like, you know, we got into this thing and uh, it was, I use it as leverage um, more than uh, the idea of getting in. You know, I know a lot of people like really love YC and 500 startups and tech stars. People love all the different, um, you know, the top three are really valuable. And there's even like other ones that have been emerging, like Stage 2 Capital, I think has one now and I've heard great things about. And so it can be a really great option for people and often expose you to businesses and people and ideas and hone hone things in ways that would either take you a really long time as, as on your own or um, so it was something we explored. We were actually exploring that idea around the same time we got um, our round of funding. And so it is something oh, with a different accelerator. But for us, it was just like that particular one wasn't a fit for us. What are the commitments that you would typically make if you were going to be a part of an accelerator? I mean, I've seen Silicon Valley and I've heard some stories about living in a unit with other founders that are creating their own businesses. I'm assuming that's not what all of them look like. So I'm just curious what the commitment would look like generally if someone does decide to work with an accelerator. Well, I do think they are going back to like more in person. Um, I have seen that trend in the past uh, like nine months. But uh, during that time, they weren't because everyone was like, move everything, you know, online because of COVID. So um, everything was digital and you could be anywhere in the world. I'm starting to see like that those requirements come back that will be like in person. As far as like what you get, I haven't been through one, but usually in the application process, you can sort of tell like usually that there's you sign like a safe note. A safe note is basically to defer doing like a priced round of so saying like what your valuation is because that whole process is really expensive you have to get the lawyers involved and it doesn't make sense when like the money is so little and you know you're just focused on getting started um and the idea of like an accelerator or um a pre-seed round even is like go prove this idea out like go go prove out that you can build something and get like a few customers in the product like go prove it out and that's the whole point of the, like that accelerator and or pre-seed stage. And usually at that stage, instead of it being a price round, you sign something like a, a safe note. There's variations of it. That's the most popular. And what a, a safe note is just a really simple document that, that you sign that says, hey, we're going to defer this valuation discussion to the next round of funding. And there's usually rules around that. And so you basically just get started, but then you sign this really easy document. And as a result, you defer all the legal, you know, things. 
where that's important is then to calculate when you go for your next round of funding, you have to see how much the previous no is diluting you and all of that when you do the next round. But that's like generally, it's usually a very simple like process. It's more so like lining up the right um, VCs and I mean, literally just, you know, making the transfers. Yeah. So you think with the right fit, it could be super valuable for somebody who is just starting a business. Absolutely. I think like a lot of companies I see doing well right now um, at our stage, like have been through accelerators. The acceptance rates are very tough at, you know, some of the bigger ones. I also have noticed like a bit of networking, which like you think like, oh, I could just apply and, you know, I would almost think of it like a job application. Like the couple stories I've heard recently are you know, I mean, I would treat it almost like networking in addition to like a the application process. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, tell me more about your book, Crafting the Sale. I know that it comes out September of this year. Is that right? Yeah, exactly. So the book was uh, just like a long time endeavor I wanted to embark upon. So basically, when I was starting off in sales, I felt like um, none of the books really like spoke to me. They were like hard to read. I felt like it was outdated. Um, I felt like it's like, you know, when I was the top performer of this one company, I feel like what the books were saying, what I was doing was like wildly different. And so I just wanted something like really simple, easy to read, gets you started, but also speaks to the times and will actually help you make like money in a really like quick and tangible way with like tactical things that you could do. And the, the basic like premise is, uh, you know, with so many products and as like people buy become, you know, uh, becomes different, the time that people are spending or even the, you know, it used to be you, you get a bunch of the information in the sales process from the salesperson. Well, that's not really the case anymore. And the time that they're spending with the salesperson has dwindled. Plus they have so many options out there. You can assume that there are like definitely talking to other people while they're talking to you and so like we know that the best product doesn't always win and so it's really important to consider like the sales experience and how that relates to the the buyer experience throughout the process as like a whole and so um the the experience that we're delivering during the sales process um is a huge um, indicator of them you know their their win rates and close rates and, and things like that. So the book shows like really tactical ways on how to get better at sales and, you know, really just like building a sustainable career as like buying itself has changed so much even since I've been in sales. So, so, so that's the premise of, of the book. Yeah. I love that. Can you give me a little snippet of what you would recommend for a salesperson or a little more about your overall sales philosophy or approach that the book talks about? Yeah. So there's this, um, there's a bunch of like studies. So there's typically a lot of controversy around, uh, what I'm about to say, which is always fun. So, um, <laughs> you know, people, people don't want to be told like how to sell and everybody thinks that their way of selling is the best. So, um, so, so it can be hard sometimes, uh, to do that. So uh, one of the, um, important elements that I noticed from like leading teams is like people tend to be like really, really rigid and overly prescriptive with sales methodologies. 
And there's actually like a lot of research out there, like from like academics that say like, um, the best salespeople aren't that rigid actually with customers. Like, yes, you should have like sales methodologies like in place. I'm not saying that you should, and you should like study them and they should be tools in a toolbox to deploy at the right moment because not every buyer is the same. They're not at the same point in like their, you know, journey. And, um, and so there's one part of the book where I talk about this idea of, um, uh, from some of these academics that, um, I've read for like a long time, um, where the top performers are deploying the right thing at the right time using situational awareness. And then like, and all performers are more likely to be like the really rigid ones. And then the worst performers have like, they're just not doing anything like no methodology. They're kind of just winging everything. And, um, so that, that's one of the things we talk about, um, in the book and also how to like operationalize that into, um, what you're actually end up saying on the phone calls, um, that you're, um, you're on how to ask like questions and like the toughest uh, negotiation scenarios, um, even like what other books to like read and, and that I recommend based on, you know, my, my experience and, and sales and, and leading teams. So, uh, those are a few kind of teasers. Yeah, that's super helpful. Thanks. So who would be the target audience for this book? Is it somebody who is working in SaaS B2B sales? Is it anybody who works with clients? Who are you really targeting for this book? Um, yeah, um, it's open to anyone. I especially focus in this book on like people new to sales. So zero to five years is like, to, you know, either like want to go in it or, or are already in it for, you know, five years or so is like a, kind of who I was thinking about as I was writing it. I would like to write like other books in the future. I could see us doing, or I could see me or me. I've always thought about like partnering with someone else and like the next one as well. Um, something around expansion sales or, or post sales as well. Um, so that's something I'm thinking about for a second book. Awesome. And where can folks purchase the book or pre-order the book at this point? Wherever books are sold, but uh, Amazon is usually the, the easiest uh, place to uh, pre-order. Cool. Thank you. Well, one last question. So I'm curious, you've done so much in your career and you've already accomplished so much. Is there advice that you've learned along the way that you wish you had known earlier on in your career that you would impart to somebody who may be looking to start a business or write a book or, um, you know, do something new in their career? Yeah, absolutely. I think like uh, there's a few different things. Um, one is like the value of like mentorship and like finding people to be um, to to have a mentor is absolutely critical, but it's not a passive exercise. You know, sometimes I talk to rats and they're like, oh, I don't really like have one. But like for the people that I consider um, mentors, that was a very intentional exercise to cultivate re relationships with people who also in turn find it valuable by, you know, providing that sort of mentorship to you know me and so that has been absolutely like critical and something that I've tried to you know there's someone I meet with I've been doing this for six months where we do like you know I don't, I don't really have a sales team yet because we're such a young company but um so there's this you know person at another company that I work with to coach to try to like pay that forward and I feel like I actually get a lot of value out of that so that's that's like thing number one. 
Thing number two is like a lot of people who start companies like see some sort of like gap and then they jump in to like fix it. So I would say like position yourself in your career. Like if you want to start something, you know, new and build something of your own, it starts with like seeing like where that gap like is and like being the one to to like fill it. Um, a lot of like you know, really successful companies. So there's, I think of the founders of uh, Drata, they've had this like meteor, or I think they have 3000 customers and they started in like 2020 or something crazy like that. They came up with the idea of starting the company while they were exiting their last company. And they went through this like crazy painful process. It's like how difficult it is to get SOC 2 um, attestation in order to, so that they can do that. So a lot of times like these companies are started because like someone was there, right? If you even think of like how a Salesforce started, well, like Mark Benioff was at Oracle, you know, like, so like, I would say like, where can you, and you don't have to be like this crazy founder or successful type to like see, um, see gaps in business in order to like fulfill them, you know, your, your yourself, but like, um, look, look for, for problems. And then the other thing I would say is like, if you're a technical person, like talk to people, um, that are the opposite pedigree of you, you know, same thing for, for non-technical people as well. That's like really product is like really, really important. And that collaboration between like people is how you create an impeccable product. Um, and that, that is, that's really essential is like bringing through, bringing together the right people with different perspectives that can build and iterate on and, you know, and, and, you know, an amazing product um, because markets are always changing and you have to build something again that people will ultimately like want to purchase. So it really does all start with people. Yeah. And you had talked earlier about the importance of building your personal brand and how you were really active in on LinkedIn and posting things there and uh, just building that more public persona of yourself, which allowed you to get into a conversation with folks that you didn't necessarily have a relationship with before who maybe you would look to take on as a mentor or, you know, just build a relationship and learn from them. Can you talk more about what you would recommend in order to find a mentor or to build those relationships with folks that are doing things that you want to be doing, but you don't necessarily have any sort of connections just yet? Yeah. So I think like, on the personal brand side, it's definitely like harder because, you know, uh, people have um, a lot more people are trying to do that now than even in 2018, which is when I really started trying to do that. Mm-hmm. And that wasn't even that long ago. And now it's like, so um, one thing on that front is like, I always try to like be aware of like a like be a student of the game and try to figure out like what is exactly like working i also like to look at new platforms so like um you know when you're using social media sometimes you're like renting space from someone else so like again going back to this idea like what can you build that's like yours um so lately i've been like really keen on the idea of like Substack um and like building your email list they actually like help you build it and then you like have this list and it's less like about renting space and it's more um, it's more about uh, the platform is actually helping you build a list. So I am looking and I was looking for like a platform for a while and most of them I had ruled out. I'm like, oh, that's 
I see it, this is just another platform where they're getting things for me. And then the next phase of my career, I'm like really focused on, you know, how is the platform helping me? So I would like be really, you know, meticulous. I even had a spreadsheet that I kept for like years to help me be a student of the game. And it would track engagement of not just my posts, but other posts. And it really helped my writing. And then during that time, I really accelerated my reading, like just like in my personal life, like I read over a hundred books during COVID, you know, things like that. Um, And I'm not, by the way, I'm not one of those people that's like, oh, you have to wake up at 5 a.m. and take cold showers (laughs) and read a hundred books. Like I'm so not that person. Um, I read a hundred books because I enjoyed doing it. And that gave me like energy, like get waking up at 5 a.m. and taking cold showers (laughs) is like not, you will not see me doing that. Um, I did it because I felt like it, it like gave me energy and uh, it gave to me. So your other question on finding a mentor is <clears throat> first, like just establishing like a way for them to take a call with you, you know, as a first, um, as a first, you know, thing. So uh, often a good place to start though, are people like close to you. So someone that you've worked with could be a mentor, someone that you've worked with previously. Many of my mentors are people I worked with previously And then also people at other companies, you know, there's training programs that I've been through where um, some of the leaders of those programs, like I've stayed in touch with, like a lot of times it's like following up and staying in touch with people has been like my biggest way of of, um, cultivating a relationship and creating, you know, the ability to have a mentor. And I've also found, I mean, I've worked with some folks in a mentor capacity and I've been a mentor to others. And I found just through having those conversations, they'll start to think about, oh, I think you would benefit so much from this person that I have a relationship with. I really want to introduce you to them because, you know, they're going to help you with X, Y, and Z. And then you just build your personal network by starting to have those conversations. And everybody has different connections that you're not really going to know about until you just start talking to people and getting a little vulnerable and sharing where you want to be in a few years or what your focus is or what you're motivated to do at the moment. And just having those conversations I've found leads to so much more. Yeah. um, There's a really good TED talk about the power of loose connections. So um, it's the idea of like, like your family, for example, those are really close like connections or even like your friends. But like what's important or like who are the people beyond those people that you don't know? And like those are like loose connections that are second or third. And a lot of times like that's where the opportunity is because the people like already around you, you will typically know what those opportunities are because they're such close connections. But this idea of loose connections are a really powerful way to, you know, even like get a job or, you know, get help with the project or something like that. Yeah, that's interesting. I'm excited to listen to that. And I'm very excited to read your book when it's out. Thank you. I tried to make it like not boring (laughs) (laughs) and like really just like straightforward, practical. You get your takeaways and you can implement them and, you know, start being more successful, making more money, you know, uh, making sales a more sustainable career and all, all those things above. Awesome. Well, thank you so much today for the conversation, Michael. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. It was great chatting with you. Go to unchartedcareers.com if you're interested in one-on-one career coaching or are looking to learn more about uncharted careers and my coaching approach. Thanks for listening.